Well, guys, if you have a Bible, you can take it and open up to the book of Haggai. That's towards the back of what's called the New Testament. And actually, over the next three weeks, um, we're going to be in the last three books of the Old Testament, Haggai, uh, Zechariah, and Malachi. And here's kind of how we'll start off this morning. Our lives are lived in years, uh, but they're shaped really by a handful of moments and a handful of seasons that, 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 that maybe start off to where we don't realize it at the moment, but those things create a huge impact in our lives as when we can kind of see that in hindsight. For example, uh, when I made the decision to, to get out of my comfort zone and go um, to a college that was about five and a half hours away from home instead of staying local at UNCW, I had no idea that that decision was going to set me on a path um, not only to find <clears throat> a lifelong friendship and mentorship from a friend of mine named <clears throat> Kenneth Wagner, uh, but also that that step was actually going to set me on a path to step into a church that to where, where I would meet Christ at, and that would have a huge um, influence on my development as, as a pastor and as a leader. Um, I had no idea 12 years ago when I got a friend request on Facebook from a really pretty girl that I had no idea who it was. Uh, I had no idea that by accepting that friend request that, that it would set me on a path to where 12 years later, we've been married 10 years and have two kids. Um, yes, yeah, somebody clapped. That's really cool. I appreciate that because I had no other hope, right? And back then, it was kind of where like online stuff was almost taboo, and now it's just normal. So maybe we were just, I was just ahead of the time. I don't know. Um, and I had no idea when I, when I was first starting seminary in 2011 when I begrudgingly and really only because God told me to applied for a kids director position at a church in Benson because I, I wasn't into kids ministry, but God told me to do it. So I was like, fine. I had no idea that that one step was going to basically set me on a path that that ultimately leads me here because God put me at that church to lead kids ministry, and ultimately Life Spring Church was planted from that church, uh, Crossroads down in Benson. So our lives, they're lived in years, but but they're really shaped by a handful of moments, and sometimes those moments look more like seasons. Um, for instance, my senior year of college, between about September and about March, was really where God started stirring in me a call to ministry, and, and, and that was a season where I started actually using the gift that God had given me. It was a season where I, I could actually feel my growing spiritually. It was a season where for the first time in my life, I started really taking a relationship with God seriously. I remember that season very well. Um, well it was probably about eight years ago, uh, my wife went through a season where she had some major um, digestive issues, and for about three or four years, that, that was a huge factor in shaping our lives and our marriage and, and, and just the way we connected with each other. And then, of course, all of us have been through a season over the last two and a half years, going back to about 2020, uh, where this thing called COVID uh, was just this massive thing that, that has shaped a lot of us. It's shaped us individually. It's shaped us um, as a nation. It's shaped us as a church. So our lives, even though they're, they're lived in years and decades most of the time, um, they really are shaped by a handful of moments and a handful of seasons. And the reason I say that is because I really do believe we're about to enter into one of those um, story-shaping seasons as a church. And I, and I would even say, that I don't think it's an exaggeration that the next six to 12 months are, are going to forever shape the history of our church because we've got some big moments coming up. Over the next six to 12 months, you just kind of witnessed one of those where David, who's been leading worship for us since day one, is transitioning out, and we're going to be transitioning someone else in. That, that, that's a tremendous transition, um, especially when you talk about worship, because it's one of the most visible things that happens um, in the life of a church. That's a tremendous transition. Um, on, in, in the month of May, we're actually going to step into the final year of the lease on this building, and so we'll have some huge decisions to make as far as do we re-up on the lease, uh, do we maybe think about purchasing this building? Do we do we think about moving to another building? Do we do we buy property and build? So we've got some big decisions looming on the horizon here. Um, and then and then toward the end of July, we're actually going to send out Sean and a team to plant a church in, in the Cleveland Clayton area, um, and that's going to be a big step for us as a church, huge step of faith. Um, and so we've got some huge transitions coming up to where the next six to twelve months will, will really be um, story shaping and history shaping for us as a church. And so I, what I want to do today is ask the question, how do we make the most of this season? How do we make the most of this moment? And I would say the way we make the most of this moment, the way we make the most of this season is ask, is ask some questions that really do bring clarity for our objective. Because until you know where you're going, you, you won't really do what you're supposed to be doing. And so the question I want to ask is very simply this right here. If you're taking notes, you can jot it down. 
Are we going to build my house, our house, or Jesus' house? And let me explain what I mean by all three of those. When I say, are we going to build my house, what I mean is, are we going to live a life that is primarily focused on, on, on the kingdom of me, myself, and I, or the kingdom of, of my four and no more? Like, like maybe church is just kind of an add-on. Maybe Jesus is an also-reign in my life. But the primary focus of my house is, what is best for me? What is most convenient for me? How can I, make, how can I personally get the most out of life? It's, it's very me-centered. When I talk about are we going to build our house, I'm speaking specifically of life spring in general. And that can kind of take two different contexts. The first context would really be one of just comfort. Um, are, are we satisfied and complacent with where we are? Are we going to be... <clears throat> A church that, man, we love each other, but but we kind of end up turning inward and turning our back on, on the rest of the world and the rest of our community that doesn't yet know Christ. Or it can have the context of, man, our primary focus is grow life spring, grow life spring, grow life spring. And full disclosure, I believe that every single local church is meant to grow. I believe every single local church is meant to reach people. But, but if the focus is only on our house, it can be very easy to try to build a single church at the expense of God's kingdom and just try to get a a room full of people who are already convinced instead of going and trying to reach the people who don't yet know Christ? Are we going to focus on my house and have, have a life that is very me-centered? Are we going to focus on our house and just be all about this church? Or are we going to focus on Jesus' house? Are we going to have a heart for the kingdom? Are we going to have a heart to, to do like we say every single week, give everyone opportunities to follow Jesus and become a disciple maker who lives for God and loves all people and leads others to do the same? Because what that does it takes the focus off of my life and what I want. It takes the focus out of just kind of huddling together as a church or, or just maybe trying to grow a single church. And man, how does God want to work in my life and through my life in every single context of my life, through my job, through my family, my parenting, my marriage, my friends, my hobbies? How does God want to use all those things, this, this comprehensive, all-inclusive picture of my life to advance his kingdom? Which house are we going to build? And it leads to a second question that's not on the screen, but I think it's good to chew on. When we say that as a church, we exist to give everyone opportunities to live for God and love all people and lead others to do the same, to follow Jesus and become a disciple maker. Is that just a nice idea? That, that, that's like, man, well, we just needed something on the website, so let's put this. Is it just a nice idea? that we have? Is it something that, man, it's primarily the leadership of the church's idea? Or is it going to be something that, man, as a church body, every single one of us, those here, those watching online, those listening online, is it going to be an idea that every single person who calls LifeSpring Church home, man, that becomes the thing we center our lives around? And to center our lives around, like, like, listen, that doesn't mean that you've got to go across the world to be a missionary. It doesn't mean that God has called you to drop your day job and go to seminary and step into vocational ministry. But what it does mean is that the entirety of my life, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, whether it's interacting with my kids, whether it's through my marriage, whether it's the, the interactions I have on my job site, um, whether it's the interactions, teenagers, that you have in school, is the entirety of my life going to be, man, how is God wanting to work in me and through me to show people Jesus and to share Jesus with people so that they come to know Christ? Because at the end of the day, guys, if we're looking at this from a long view, two things matter in eternity. One is whether or not you have a relationship with Christ. And two is who did you help get to know him as well? So what would it look like for, for a group of people to have as the centerpiece of their life this idea, this dream of giving everybody opportunities to follow Jesus and become a disciple maker who lives for God and loves all people and leads others to do the same? What might that look like? And we're going to put a pin in that question and get back to it because the first thing that we actually have to do is we have to deal with the obstacle that keeps us from making the mission of God the centerpiece of our life. And so to set that up, um, I just want us to look at the book of Haggai because the big idea here is that the obstacle that keeps us from living for Jesus' house and building Jesus' house, the big obstacle that keeps us from that is the magnetic pull of my house and our house. We have a magnetic pull inward that keeps us from living outward for Jesus' house. And here's how it played out for the exiles in Haggai 
chapter 1. Um, if you don't know the backstory, um, this is what happened. The Israelites were God's chosen people, and they were meant as a people to live for God and live such lives that they pointed other people to Jesus. That was their, that was their mission, their God-ordained mission. Um, and yet they failed miserably. They, they disobeyed God. They worshiped false gods. And ultimately, God exiled the people of Israel from the land of Israel. Um, some of them were exiled to Assyria. Most of them were exiled to a place called Babylon. And after 70 years of exile, some of the exiles started coming back. And when they first started coming back, they started building the temple because they're like, okay, we really messed this up the first time. We're going to come back. We're going to do this right. We're going to start building the temple. We're going to worship God. And we know that it's not about a building. It's about the presence of God because that's what it was. But very, very shortly after they came back, they were fired up to start with. They were excited to start with. And then the needs of the moment kicked in. And they're like, yeah, but we need houses. And because they needed houses, their response to the God's call on their lives was this, verse 2 in Haggai 1. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. <clears throat> These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. In other words, hey God, we know that's important. We know that's necessary. We know that is mission critical. It's a huge part. In fact, it's maybe even our purpose, but man, we're going to do it later. We've got some other really pressing things right now. We've got some really other pressing needs right now. And man, we will we'll get to it. It's not that we're not going to get to it, but we'll do it later. Here's my question for us as a church and, and for each of us as individuals. Where has God been calling us that we're like, well, yeah, God, I know that's important. I know that's necessary. I know I should do that. I'm planning on doing that. I'm intending on doing that, but... I'll do it later. What's the conversation that, that, that you know God has been pressing on your heart to have with maybe a coworker or another student at school or, or a neighbor across the street that, that you know, man, I know God has called me to at least invite this person to church, to at least start a spiritual conversation, maybe even just to go and say, hey, um, man, I just want to know, is there anything you need prayer for? And I know I should do that. I know I'm meant to do that. I know I feel like God has really put that on my heart, but, but I'm going to do it later. I'm going to do it later. What is the next step God has called you to? Maybe it's, maybe it's going public through baptism. Maybe it's stepping out of your comfort zone and serving on a team here. But you're like, man, I know I should do that. I know I, know, I, know I really, really feel convicted that I should, but, but I'm going to do it later. I'm going to do it later. It's not time yet. Maybe it sounds something like this. Maybe it sounds like, man, I know God has called me to honor him with, with my finances and give, but, but man, I'll do, I'll do it later when I make more money, or maybe it would sound corporately for us like a church, man, we know that God has called us to make disciple makers. We know he's called us to multiply, to plant churches, but, but we'll do that. We'll do that later when we're bigger, when we can afford to do it. What is the thing that you've been saying to God? Yeah, I know that's important and I know I should do that, but, but man, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Can I just tell you guys one thing I've learned about later? Every single time we say I'll do it later, later just never seems to happen. Later doesn't just all of a sudden magically appear. And to be honest, the further we kick the can down the road on later, the harder it actually becomes. For example, um, about every two to three weeks, this giant monster takes over the love seat in our living room, and it's called the laundry monster. And the laundry monster starts very small. It starts usually with a pile of my kids' clothes. And the thing about small kids' clothes is like, what well, looks like a little pile is actually about 3,000 pieces of laundry. Because they're only about that big. And so, and, so, and so you're like, I know I need to deal with that, but man, the kids are awake right now. I'll do it later. And then it's like, man, I know I should do it, but I, I know it needs to happen. But I finally have some time with my wife here and that laundry just doesn't seem important. Well, you do that for about three to five days and all of a sudden there's this Hulk sitting on the couch and you're like, how did that get there? Well, because I said I would do it later and do it later and do it later and, and later never actually happened. And now it's just got to be this big, massive obstacle that seems way too intimidating. So guys, listen, when God is calling you to something, man, don't put it off. Don't put it off. I can tell you this. It will never be easier to take your next step than right now. But the other thing is this, and you can write this down. Procrastination is assassination of the future I have in Christ. 
Every single time we say, I'll do it later. Every single time we say, I'll put it off. Every single time we'll say, we say, yeah, God, I know it's important. I know it's needed, but, but just not right now. What we're literally doing is killing the future we have in Christ. Every single time we punt on it. And this is actually what the exiles experienced. Haggai 1.5, it says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Then we skip to verse 9, and it says this. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. God says he blew it away. And that sounds mean, right? Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought. This is God speaking. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and on everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Now, let's just be honest. As we're reading that, doesn't that seem almost petty of God? Can, Can we just be honest about that? Because if we're looking at it, it feels like, well, it seems like God is saying, well, if I can't have you, nothing can. Can we just be honest about that as we read that? It seems almost mean of God. So, so is it mean of God? Well, actually, no. When God allows us to experience failure, when God allows us to experience frustration, when God actually opposes us and says, yeah, I'm not going to let that work, that's not mean of God. It's actually an incredible act of his grace. And the reason it's an incredible act of his grace is because every single time we try to get satisfaction and fulfillment from something in this world, whether that is a relationship, whether that is a job, whether that is a degree, whether that is just something fun on the weekend, every time we experience that frustration that, well, this didn't fulfill me, or every time we experience the frustration of, well, I tried that and it just seems like God didn't make it work, that's actually an act of grace of God because it's him turning our attention to the fact of the fact that we are wired, we are created in a way that demands that we don't get satisfaction ultimately from this world. Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, put it like this, that God has put eternity in every man's heart. C.S. Lewis put it this way, that when when it seems that nothing in this world seems to satisfy us, it should make us realize that it's because we're created for a different world. See, God allows us to feel frustration, and God even introduces failure into our lives to remind us of the fact that the only thing that will ultimately satisfy us, the only thing that will ultimately fulfill us, is not anything that originates from this world. It's Him. It's a relationship with Him. Guys, can I tell you, teenagers, listen, the only ultimately fulfilling relationship you will ever have is with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying marriage is not fulfilling. My marriage is awesome. I love my marriage. But the only relationship that will permanently keep you happy and never have moments of disappointment, never have moments of frustration, never have moments of tension or conflict will be with Jesus. That's the only relationship that will be permanently fulfilling. Can I tell you the only job, the only mission that will be permanently fulfilling is giving your life to the work of God's mission. And that's not to say that a job is not fulfilling. Because we can absolutely walk in careers that, man, we enjoy and we love. But the only way to leverage those in a way that will ultimately bring satisfaction is when we allow God to work through those to be leveraged for his kingdom and his mission. So guys, if you find yourself, well, man, this thing doesn't satisfy me. This relationship, like it's nice, but, but there's some disappointment in it from time to time. Guys, it's God being gracious to us and reminding us of the fact that the only thing that will ultimately fulfill us is him. The only way you can walk in God's favor is when God is first. Personally and corporately for us as a church. You want to walk in God's favor, man, God has got to be first. And so the question to consider is, man, is he first in my life? Is the primary relationship my life is built around my relationship with Jesus Christ? Is the primary mission my life is built around the work of Jesus Christ? Listen, for us on a corporate level, Man, it's the primary thing we're concerned about as a church is, man, how do we follow Jesus? How do we get to know Jesus? Is the primary mission we're focused on as a church is, man, how can we help other people follow Jesus? 
Or do we just evolve into this thing where Jesus is kind of an add-on to our life and his mission just becomes kind of optional? Where is that for us? And it's kind of, and it, it makes us a little defensive, right? Because we want to push back and we want to we want to assume that maybe what we're doing is enough. But guys, can I just tell you that God's not satisfied with anything less than 100%. God is not going to be satisfied with being a compartment of your life. A buddy of mine named Kenneth used this illustration one time of a bookshelf. And sometimes we think God is meant to be like a, a shelf on the bookshelf. It's like, well, God, you get the top shelf. And God's like, no, I want to be the whole thing. I want to be the whole thing, and your life is shaped by me. And so here's where God led the exiles, and it's where God leads us. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet of Haggai, and where he starts is is what some of us need, and I know I've needed this in my life. It's really a divine rebuke. And God says this, and God doesn't say this in a gotcha sort of way, and he doesn't say this in a cruel sort of way. It's just very gentle conviction, very gentle pressure. But he says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? See, God wasn't begrudging the Israelites their need for shelter. But what he was saying is, hey, you've gone, you've gone, be, you've gone beyond necessity. You've gone beyond need. And you're just kind of building yourself up. You're just kind of making things easy for you. You're just kind of making things plush for you when the thing that your life is supposed to be centered around is a ruin. And the point was not a temple, guys, because as we're going to see in a second, like this temple that they constructed, like it was just not that pretty. It definitely paled in comparison to Solomon's temple, but the point was not a building. The point was the presence of God because the temple symbolized the tangible presence of God among his people. And the Israelites, by neglecting God's house, the temple at that time, in favor of their own houses, were basically saying, yeah, the primary thing we need isn't God's presence. It's it's our comfort. Is that where we're at? Where the primary need is is we think about our comfort instead instead of knowing Christ and his mission. I know guys like, my, like, man, I've needed that divine rebuke in my life. I've needed God to call me to the carpet from time to time and say, hey, your priorities are way out of whack. You're misunderstanding your purpose. So what God calls us to, verse 7, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. What does that mean to give careful thought to your ways? Let me stop and pause and consider, okay, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Because let's just be honest. So often aren't we kind of like little toddlers? That's not meant to be insulting. But I know one thing with my toddler, like I love my little boys. I love Kaysen especially. But he just doesn't give a lot of thought to his ways right now. He will throw open a door and bolt toward the street. He will not look for cars. He'll just, boom, gone. And unfortunately, that sometimes doesn't change. Like I remember one time in my own life, um, I thought I was being helpful. I don't know how old I was. I was maybe like eight or nine. But, but I'm coming out of Walmart with my mom, and the wind blows my receipt across, across the parking lot. Well, I thought I was being helpful, and I just ran without looking to get the receipt. And I got the receipt, and I was proud of that, and I brought, by my, it, brought it back to mama. You know what I got? I didn't get, son, thank you. I got a spanking. And I was confused. I was like, why did I get that? And, and it was because, like, she said, because, you, like, you can get hurt doing that. I'm spanking you so you'll remember not to just run out in front of cars. By the way, I didn't learn my lesson all that great because, you know, about 20 years later on a mission trip to Washington, D.C., um, which, which my wife witnessed and Pastor Mark witnessed. Um, we were trying to get somewhere, and I don't remember where, but, but I learned in D.C. you always need to use the crosswalks because I was like, well, we'll just crawl this, this like 30-lane road, and I looked one way, looked one way, and I was like, great, and I ran out, and then I got about right, right here, and there was a car right there, and it slammed on brakes, and I skedaddled back. My wife did not say, I'm so glad to see you back. She was so upset with me. And I was like, you seem upset, and she's like, yeah, because you almost died. What's the point of all that? Sometimes, guys, we just don't give much thought to our ways. We just kind of do. 
And we do life very incidentally and very accidentally, and we're very reactive in life. What God says is, hey, you need to pause and give thought to your ways. Think about what you're doing and think about why you're doing it. Spend some time with the Lord. Spend some time in prayer saying, okay, God, like, why do I do what I do? Pray like David prayed, God, search me. Am I doing what you, am I actually doing what you desire that I would do? Give careful thought to the ways. Let the Lord actually do like some surgery on your life and start examining, why do I do what I do here? Is this really about God? Or is it primarily about me? We need to reconsider our ways. We need to let God re- re- like evaluate what we're doing and then let him refocus us on our purpose. Because verse 8, he says this, Go up into the mountains and bring timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. What God commanded them to do is, hey, get back to, get back to doing the thing that you're called to do which is my house front and center, relationship with me front and center, a desire to walk in my presence front and center. Guys, that's ultimately what we need in our lives. We need God front and center. We need his mission front and center. And interestingly enough, I love the fact that in this passage, he says, hey, basically get to work. Go up into the mountains. That's not like a pleasure walk. Bring down timber, which means you got to cut down trees and then start building. Guys, can I just be honest? To put Jesus front and center in our lives, to put his mission front and center of our lives, which we should because there's nothing better than being with Jesus, can I just tell you, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. It's going to take us actually trying And it's going to be a battle, guys, because even on the other side of salvation, even after you've given your life to Christ, like there are things inside of us that pull us back. The sin that's still present in us pulls us back and keeps us from doing those things consistently. So it's a constant battle. And that's why we need every single day to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit and tap into his power and rely on him by obeying him and then trusting him to empower us to do what he's called us to do because in and of ourselves, we can't do that. So what is it going to look like for you personally, for us as a church, to go up into the mountains and bring timber and build my house. Maybe individually it means getting up 15 minutes earlier to spend some actual focused time with the Lord in Scripture. Maybe it means stepping out of your comfort zone and and actually getting connected and getting into relationships within this church body. For some of you, maybe it means actually going to counseling, maybe as a couple, maybe as an individual, and start spending some time to get, get down into the root system of your life and see, man, what is going on? What, 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 what is driving some of the things that I do that's unhealthy that needs to be worked on? Maybe it means inviting someone to our Christmas gathering here in a few weeks. And guys, can I just say, man, one of the best opportunities we ever have to invite people that don't know Christ to a church gathering is Christmas. Because it's, 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 it's one of the few things we have in our American culture that is still traditional, and it actually centers on Jesus. In fact, I believe every single one of us has someone that God has put in our lives, close to us but far from God, that we're called to invite. That's why we have those inviter cards in the seats, guys, for you to take and to invite. And I would challenge every single one of us, man, invite someone and do whatever it takes to get them here. Maybe it looks like serving on a volunteer team if you're not already involved in that way. Maybe it means giving towards our Christmas offering. And guys, if you give, let, let me just tell you what happens when you give. The goal is not here and is not to shake the money tree, guys. But when you give, let me just tell you a few stories. Because people were generous up front, and enabled LifeSpring Church to come into existence, and by extension, enabled me to do this full time. I was able to spend guy with a, uh, time with a guy named Tony every single week for a friend. I've done that for like years now. And before, we, and, and a couple weeks after we launched, he gave his life to Christ. He was one of our first baptisms. Now he's our kids director. That happened because somebody was generous and enabled me to spend the time into that. Because people were generous and enabled LifeSpring Church to come into existence and then operate and stay open, a lady named Tiffany 
had a place to be invited to show up with her two small children. And at that place, she started following the Lord, and the Lord changed her life. And now she serves as our hospitality, our first impressions director. Because people gave to LifeSpring Church, guys, we have a student ministry, and one of our students named Kylie has been able to come to a place where she hears the gospel and is surrounded by adult small group leaders who love her and surrounded by other students to where they were able to invest in her lives, and she's able to do something like go to summer camp where the Lord can stir something in her heart. And this semester, she's been one of like 12 or 16 interns for our organization called First Priority out of the whole county. Because people gave to LifeSpring Church, guys, we're able to have somebody like Sean, like, like apprentice as a church planting apprentice and then be a church planting resident. And we're able to invest towards that and give towards that and multiply the kingdom of God elsewhere. Guys, that's what happens when you give. It is not about God getting money. It's about us being able to see the mission of God move forward. And so the Christmas offering will be open this whole month, guys. And all I would ask you to do is, man, just pray what God wants you to do. Just pray what God wants you to do. And what we're going to use that money for specifically is when we bring in a new hire, we're going to use a good chunk of that for the first 90 days of their salary. We're going to use a good chunk of that to invest towards Sean as he takes the faith steps and moves full-time into planting out of the first of the year. And we're going to use a big chunk of that to invest in our community, guys. But it's all about the mission. It's all about the mission. What is it going to look like to go up into the mountains and bring down timber and get to work on the house? For us corporately as a church, ultimately when we get into next July, it means sending Sean off to plant a church. And it means us sending money and it means us sending people. For some of you, it means going. For most of you, it means staying. But for all of us, it absolutely means praying. In fact, can I challenge you, man? Can you just take like five minutes every single week and pray specifically for Sean and take another five minutes and pray specifically for LifeSpring? In fact, I would argue the greatest work of ministry is in fact prayer because God can do more in a moment than we can do in 10 lifetimes. What is it gonna look like for us to go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build God's house? What happens when we obey the voice of God and his mission becomes the centerpiece of our life, it becomes the focus of our life. We asked that question earlier, now we're going to answer it. Check out what happens here. Verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared God. They developed a right relationship with the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. We'll come back to that in a second. So the Lord, watch this, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began the work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Here's the two things that happen when the God's mission becomes central in your life. You can write this down. The result of placing God's mission at the center of my life is his presence in my life and an and unquenchable passion for his mission. Let's talk about both of those. The first is God's presence in your life. Guys, we really do believe as a church there's nothing better than being with Jesus. And the point here for the Israelites, it was not about a temple. It was about walking in the presence of God. Guys, the reason God wants us to center our lives around his mission, it is not to make us busy. It is not to ruin our fun. It is not to make us oddly religious. It is so that we can walk with his presence day in and day out. That's the goal. His presence is the point. His presence is the point. In fact, one of the things we say about this value of there's nothing better than being with Jesus is, man, one of the ways we experience that is we go with him to find people far from him and invite them to follow him. Why? Because the heart of the good shepherd is always going after lost sheep. But then you will get an unquenchable passion for his mission in your life. So often we're like, well, man, if God would stir me up, they may not get to it. Guys, can I just tell you, when it comes to the mission of God in your life, your hands have to move and then your heart will follow. If you wait until you feel like it, if you wait until you want to, if you wait, you wait until you desire to, can I just tell you, it just ain't ever going to happen. But if you will move first in faith and you'll say, okay, God, I may not feel like it. I don't really want to do it. I'm not really, I'm just not feeling it right now, but you are obedient. 
God will stir you up. God will stir your spirit. God will give you a passion for doing what he wants you to do. And can I just tell you guys, when people are passionate about God, that actually attracts people to God. There's nothing attractive about ho-hum Christianity. That's just kind of an add-on to our lives. But when people far from God see the body of Christ, see the church, passionate about Jesus, passionate about loving their community, passionate about reaching people, passionate about gathering, passionate about Jesus himself, that gets their attention. I forget who it was that said it, so I won't even try to remember the name. But the quote goes something like this. If you set a person on fire, people will come from miles around to see them burn. And I think that same thing is true corporately as a church. You see a church get, on, get set on fire for the mission of God, people will come from miles around. Why? Because there's something irresistibly contagious about passion. So I don't know about you guys, but man, I want to live a life that is marked by the presence of God. And I want the Lord to develop in me a deep passion for his mention that does not go out. And then some of us have experienced moments like that, right? But can we be honest? So often there's seasons like that. There are seasons where we're kind of up here. There's seasons where we're kind of down here. And there's, there's kind of an ebb and flow to it. So the question becomes, man, how do we stay on track then? And maybe the better question is this, because this can happen. What if I do all the right things? And the results aren't what I expect. And can I just be like fully transparent with you guys about six years and three months into planting a church? I thought we'd be further along six plus years into it. Can can I just be really transparent, just really vulnerable with you guys? I really thought we'd be further along. I I really did. If you told me, Dylan, six years in, you're going to run about 80 people on a Sunday, I'd been like, what did I do wrong? And like that really would have been my question. And I remember a guy named Clayton King one time, I asked him, hey, I'm about to plant a church. Well, what's something, what's, what's something I need to know? And the first thing he said is, you know, tell, tell your wife everything. That's just good marriage advice, right? Just tell your wife everything. Tell your wife everything. And she, by the way, guys, she knows anyway. <laughs> so just be honest. But then he said, and, and, and looking back on it, man, this was such a prophetic thing he said to me. He said, don't get discouraged if it doesn't get really big really quick. Some of you guys have experienced similar things like that in your life. Man, you poured your life into raising your kids to follow Jesus. And now that they're adults, man, they they couldn't give a rip about Jesus. And you're like, man, where did I go wrong? Some of you, your marriages have have struggled. And and man, you've gone to counseling and you've let the Lord shape your heart. And you're loving your spouse well, but they just don't seem to reciprocate. And you're like, man, man, what happened? God, I'm doing the right things here. Maybe like you're making a concentrated effort to put God first. Like you're getting up early, you're reading his word, you're praying, you're connected with the church, you're giving faithfully. But it seems like every single month, like there's a brand new thing that breaks or there's a brand new tension or a brand new argument. You're like, God, like this isn't what I expected. What do you do when it's not what you expect? And can I just tell you, generally speaking, especially in the short term, it'll never be what you expect. But the reason for that is we so often overestimate what God wants to do in the short term, but we underestimate what God will do through a lifetime of faithfulness. And that's where God wants to lead us, to a lifetime of faithfulness. So how do we stay on track for a lifetime of faithfulness? I want to read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 2 of Haggai here. It says, on the 27th day of the first month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? What he's referring to is the folks that were were well advanced in age, and they had remembered Solomon's temple, which was glorious. And then God said, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Like, man, you started rebuilding the temple, but let's just be honest. It doesn't look a thing like the old one. It's not what you expect. And in fact, I'll just be honest. I think perhaps one of the reasons the exiles got discouraged and went back to building their houses is because this other house, God's house, it just wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they thought it would be. Then he says, 
But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord. If you want to stay on track for the long haul, the first thing we've got to remember is God's presence. Because I can promise you this, if you are doing what God has commanded you to do, if you are making his mission the centerpiece of your life, if we as a church are making the vision of giving everyone opportunities to follow Jesus and become a disciple maker who lives for God and loves all people and leads others to do the same, if we're making that the centerpiece of, his, of our life, here's what I can promise you. The results may not be what we think they should be, but here's the guarantee. We always go with God. And God will never, ever, ever call you to a step that he's not with you right there in the moment of it. Whether it's stepping across the street to invite somebody to Christmas, whether it's trusting God and giving sacrificially, whether it's hanging in there in a difficult, broken marriage, whether it's being patient with kids who are just rowdy and they don't seem to listen to a thing, whether it's trusting that God is calling you to forgive somebody and step into the most difficult conversation you've ever had. Whatever it is, guys, if God calls you to it, he promises to go with you in it and be right there in the middle of it with you. Remember his presence that keeps you on track for the long haul. And then God says this, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. What's the deal with Egypt there? What God is doing is he's reminding them of their story. He's reminding them, hey, never forget, you were in slavery and I brought you out. I brought you out through 10 plagues. I brought you through the Red Sea. I destroyed the Egyptian army and saved you. He's calling them to remember their story. Guys, when you start being obedient to God and being faithful, when you do that individually, when we do that as a church, and things just don't seem like they're moving in the right direction, what God calls us to do is, man, remember your story. Primarily, remember the fact that you were dead in sin. You were lost and separated from God. You had no hope but while we were sinners, God sent his son to die for us, to pay the price for sin that we couldn't possibly pay and then come back to life so that through him we could have eternal life. Remember your story, guys. Remember how God saved you. And the question, of course, that comes out of that is this. Do you have a story? Do you have a story? Can you look back to a moment in your life and say, man, I was lost I was broken, I was hurting, I had no hope. But man, in that moment, at that time, Jesus saved me. And my life hasn't been perfect since. My life has been up and down since. But man, Jesus has changed me. And I can go back to that moment. Do you have a story, guys? Because if you don't have a story, today is the day that God wants to give you a story. We remember his presence. We remember our story. And then God says this, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come <clears throat> and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The third thing we have to remember is God's promises. <clears throat> Guys, do you remember God's promises when you wake up in the morning? Do you remember his promise to never leave you or forsake you? Do you remember his promise that his goodness and mercy pursues you all the days of your life? Do you remember his promise to not grow weary in doing good for the right time? We will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Guys, do you remember God's promises? And ultimately, do you remember his promise that he's going to take you home to be with him one day? Do you remember his promise that he works everything together for his glory and our good? Do you remember his promise that these light and momentary troubles that don't seem so light and momentary in the moment are nothing compared to the glory that's coming in Christ? Remember his promises. Because sometimes, I'll just be honest, his promises are the only thing you've got to hold on to. When life is falling apart and all hell is breaking loose, sometimes the promises of God are the only thing you've got to cling to. Remember his promises. And then remember his provision. Verse 8, God says this, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. In the context of the exiles there, what God is telling them is, Hey, I can provide exactly what you need for the moment. I can provide you exactly what you need to build this thing. And the same thing is true in our lives individually and our lives corporately. 
In fact, as I look back over the history of our church, like every single time we've needed something, whether it was financially, every single time we've needed someone from a personnel standpoint, man, God has always filled the gap and he has never, ever, ever left us hanging because he provides. Guys, where do you need to trust God's provision right now? Because he, he owns it all. And he'll take care of exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. And then the final thing to do is play the long game. Because that's what God was doing here at the exiles. In fact, God makes this incredible promise. And this brings in Christmas. He says, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. Now, that didn't feel true to the exiles because this new temple, it just wasn't very impressive. But remember, the point wasn't a building. The point was the presence of God. And ultimately, the point was a person. Because Jesus Christ would come. And he wouldn't stand in Solomon's temple, but he'd stand in the not-so-improved version of the temple. When God said the glory of this house will be greater than the glory of the old one, he's not talking about what it looks like from the outside. He's talking about a promise that he made that, hey, the Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming. That's what's going to make this thing greater. One thing I love about God is God is always playing the long game. And that's what he calls us to do is play the long game. This is one thing that was actually super convicting for me during, during the couple weeks I took off here is I continue to be so very much in the moment that I don't even have a target on the wall for the long game. So let me ask you this, man, for, for your life, do you have a target on the wall for the long game? And this is something the Lord convicted me about. And so I spent some time in prayer. I've been pretty transparent with a lot of my flaws and a lot of my weaknesses, but I don't think I've ever been super transparent with some of my dreams. And so here's some targets on the wall that, 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 that the Lord's kind of led me to. And I don't know if these things will happen. I have no control over results. But Scripture does say that without vision, people perish. When you don't have a target on the wall, you have no idea what you're shooting for. So what's the long game for me? To start off with, I'd like to live to be 100. And that means I can't pound cheesecake in the present. I want to make it 75 years with my wife. I want to baptize both my boys. I want to baptize them right there. And then do their weddings. I'll perform their weddings. But I probably won't make it through without crying. Man, when it comes to, it comes to this church, um, I want to pastor this thing for half a century. I don't, I, I don't want to throw in the towel at age 60. I want to be about 80 years old by the time I'm wrapped up with this. I'd love to see us plant 50 daughter churches by the time this church is 50 years old. We're, we're, we already have one up. That, that's going to be a lot. That's going to be a stretch. And I have no idea if that'll happen. It gives me a target to shoot for, and I know it would glorify God. By the time Life Spring Church is 50, I'd love to see us have baptized 5,000 people. Can you imagine how different Smithfield will be if in the next 50 years we put 50,000 people in that pool? Again, I have no idea if that'll happen. God's in charge of the results, but you've got to have a target to shoot for. And my prayer for Life Spring and for our family of churches between the, the daughter churches that we plant and the granddaughter churches that those churches plant and the great-granddaughter churches that those churches plant and so on and so forth is that made 50, 50 years after Life Spring started by September 18th, 2066, that our family of churches will reach 50,000 people. Can you imagine the impact that will make spiritually? You gotta have a long game, guys. <clears throat> you gotta have a long game. I want us to have a long game as a church. We need to have a vision that will outlive us, that will take a lifetime to accomplish. And you need to have a vision for your life that is God-centered that will take a lifetime to accomplish. Because when you have something that will take a lifetime, it keeps you in it for the long game. And we need to be kept in it for the long game, guys, because if we're so obsessed with the short term, we'll often get discouraged because we often overestimate what God wants to do in the short term. But I really do believe we greatly underestimate what God will do through a lifetime 
of faithfulness. What could God do over our lifetimes if for the next 30 years for some of you, 40 years, 50 years, for some of you that are very young, 60, 70 years, if the centerpiece of our life is the mission of God, is giving everybody opportunities to follow Jesus and become a disciple maker who lives for God and loves all people and leads others to do the same, what could happen? So in this season, I believe it's the season for clarity on our objective, and I believe it's a season to commit to the mission. And I don't know what the difference will be in the short term. I can't tell you if in a year things will be different. I can't tell you what the results will be in 50 years. But I really do believe if we commit to the mission, we'll see God do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine, because that's just what he does. So can we pray this morning? Father God, God, I really do believe that you are the God that does the impossible. And God, I pray that we would never insult you with small thinking, but that we would never also puff up ourselves with with things that are just designed to lift up our name. God, I pray the life we would live would be with one that you at the center, that you're at the center of, Jesus. And so here's the only question this morning as, as we wrap up. Is Jesus the center of your life? Is he the center of your life? For some of you, that means, man, you've given your life to Christ, but, but man, it's been so hard to put Jesus in the center. It's been so hard to get his priorities in the center. You're just kind of constantly pulled off mission. And so if that's you, just where you sit, just, just say, Jesus, be the center of my life. Make your mission the center of my life. And help me not just say that I'm going to live for you. Holy Spirit, empower me to live it out. And for others of you, this means taking yourself off the throne of your life. It means you stop being the Lord of your life. and It means Jesus becomes Lord of your life. Because some of you are like me where I was 14 years ago as a 21-year-old, and intellectually, I knew all the right stuff. I knew all the right answers, but Dylan Shoup was Lord of his life. And that meant I was far from God. That meant I was lost. Is that where you're at? Are you Lord of your life? Because I can just tell you that, man, whenever I'm Lord of my life, I just tend to wreck the ship. And Jesus didn't just die to get me out of hell. He died to be my Lord. Is he Lord? Because to be a follower of Jesus means Jesus is Lord. It means more than I believe the right things about Jesus. It means more than I do some nice stuff. It means more than a moral lifestyle. It means Jesus calls the shots. He's in charge. So if you've never given your life to Christ today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that just where you sit. Say, Father God, I need a Savior. I'm sorry for trying to be in charge. And I repent of my sin. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. In this moment, I confess you as Lord. Jesus, from now on, you're in charge. You call the shots. And by your grace, I'll follow you wherever you tell me to go and do whatever you tell me to do, regardless of the cost. And if that was you this morning, first off, I celebrate that. Second off, I'd love for you to take the card in the seat in front of you and just indicate today you gave your life to Christ. And you can drop it in the giving boxes on the way out or at the Connection Center. We'd love to follow up with you on that. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the time that we've had together as a church this morning. I pray you'd be glorified in every single thing that we do, Lord, and that Jesus, you'd be the center of it all. We ask these things in your name. Amen.